I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, on today's episode, we are going to be speaking with a business valuation expert next on The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Dave Kittle here on The Dave Kittle Show. I am the owner of Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy in New York City and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. We are currently acquiring practices, physical therapy practices in New York and New Jersey. And today we have Jeffrey Brewster on the podcast. He is a CFA and CVA, and he's the Managing Director of Business Valuation at Objective Investment Banking and Valuation. You guys can check them out for more information on the web. Their website is objectivecp.com. More on that in a little bit. First of all, Jeffrey, welcome on. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. So let's get into your a little bit of your background and how you and your firm are currently helping healthcare practice owners. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's, a, it's a very exciting time that we're living in right now. We have so many confluence and convergence and divergence of things going on and, and directly impacting the healthcare space. So there are all of these items from a legal standpoint, from a financial standpoint, from a financial market standpoint, from an overall healthcare in this in this country standpoint. I mean, we've for all of us here that that remember the 1992 healthcare discussion all the way up to the 2022 healthcare discussion. It seems like healthcare has been a discussion for those number of years. And, and I believe that going forward, it's just going to become a bigger and bigger discussion in everybody's, I guess, daily lives, if you really want to look at it that way. So exciting time, somewhat challenging time, but this is a great time nonetheless. And it makes sense because... 20% of the US's GDP is healthcare. So it's a, you know, one out of every $5 of commerce that's being spent is healthcare. Great point. And still simply the best, of course, I'm biased, healthcare system on the face of the planet. Until we find somebody else on another star Earth like, you know, planet, I think we'll still, in my career, keep that and reign as number one. For sure. So let's get into a little bit of your area of expertise. So your credentials, I want you to go into that a little bit. Let's go into what you're doing at your firm. And then we can go into what the audience really cares about, which is things like, you know, hey, what is my practice worth? Do I need in my corner? I mean, we're on the buy side. And I believe you mostly represent the sell side. If not, you can certainly correct me. But for the practice owners in the audience, let's go into a little bit of your area of specialization and how you might be able to potentially help them or or even guide them in this this dialogue right now. Yeah, that's a great intro because we basically help out in a number of different ways. Yeah, we do help folks that are perhaps on the sell side or looking at, if you will, transitioning that business to the next group of owners. 
We also help owners that are currently in practice that want to stay in practice, but perhaps need to do some planning from an estate standpoint just to get ready for that event. Again, there are a number of things that are questionable as far as the future is concerned. Imagine that uncertainty in the future. I think we've all become accustomed to that, but at certain degrees, perhaps more uncertainty today going forward and really impacting us right where we live. So from a sell side standpoint, we certainly help. From that owner transition standpoint, we're certainly helping folks. And from a buy side standpoint, have certainly helped people look at potentially consolidating, aggregating overall to just get to that size and scale that they're looking for and looking for those right places to to deploy the capital to do that. So we do represent and do help people all along that continuum. And so that's what I, I really am trying to help people understand better. And sometimes that's understand their valuation better, understand how to, to do better in their business that results in better valuation or to better understand what is really in front of them. Excellent. So in terms of the practice owner that is early on in the process, should they reach out to you guys when they're really not sure where to go, reach out to any other broker or advisor? Where should a practice owner start in the process of, and I watched another episode with you, another interview, and you were mentioning like that 2 a.m., 3 a.m. question, a practice owner might you know, be woken up from their sleep or think about late at night of where should they go? Is this the right time to sell? Should they sell some or all their practice? What There's many questions. There's a lot of unknowns for practice owners. What is an exit strategy? What is a succession plan? I know you have a lot of thoughts and comments around all this. So what would be maybe the initial starting points? Right. Well, when you wake as an owner of a business and you wake up or owner of a practice and you wake up at 2 a.m., unfortunately, that thought is probably central and foremost right here. And will more than likely keep you up until it's time to, to get going for the rest of the day. So sometimes that is the time to call and go, I'm wondering about, and then you can fill in that blank when we sit down. What I like to tell people is that business valuation is the biggest tool in my toolbox, but it's not the only tool that I pull out when we sit down and talk, because I really look at it myself as the value architect. Who do we need to call in at the right time? And that might be me. It might be a tax planning attorney. It, it might be that tax accountant. So we'll sit down with that owner and say, where are you at today? Where do you want to be in the future? How do we get from point A to point B? And what does that look like? What does point B look like? Is it point B and then right off into the sunset? Or is it point B, point one, B.2, B.3, C, D, F, I'm gone. You know, <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of variation because there's such uniqueness in what we do. And there may or may not be that transition group that you're looking for. That practice owner may or may not have a legacy that they want to leave. They may or may not be interested with their name remaining on the placard out at the street or their picture in the hallway. And we're going to ask those questions because we're going to custom customize really what we can do and what they really were trying to do. Got it. So 
for a practice owner? I think you somewhat went into it to answer this, but is it ever too early for them to contact you? Either you directly or your firm? I have had people literally contact me before they open the doors because they needed to do things such as a commercially reasonable fair market value analysis based on the management agreement that they were going to be putting in place before this practice even opened. And so we can help in that very, very early stage to say from a standpoint of solidifying what we're doing and implementing it and then getting it into an operational phase, we can help along that whole continuum. So I really, Dave, I think the answer to your question is is no. If you contact us when you're still in medical school, that might be a little early. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Okay. Maybe, so then maybe not. <laughs> So let's say a practice owner that is, they've been in practice for 10, 15, 20 years. They reach out to you guys, you and your firm. And what are the first couple steps? Because again, this whole process for a practice owner, if they've never sold anything, this likely would be the largest transaction of their lives, depending on what type of house or vehicles or other, you know, any real estate that they might have acquired in the past. But it could potentially be the largest transaction. And so there's a lot of, there's fear of the unknown. They haven't had the repetitions and gone through all of this many times. So does your firm help with preparing their financial documents and letting them understand like the process and kind of lay it out as to what, how to manage their their expectations and kind of letting them know, like kind of teaching them, like, here's the steps of the process. Things will never go smoothly A to Z, but here's the, you know, major milestones of such a, such a process. Yeah, great question. And so what I tell people is we're going to sit down and ask a lot of questions. We're going to we're going to sit down and talk with you about where you're at to find out exactly what you said. Do we have that financial statement preparation in place and is it pretty automated? Is it solid? How is your tax situation? Obviously, there are a number of practices out there that have that all buttoned up and they Yeah, we've got great financials. We really feel comfortable if someone were to come in and audit us. So really, we're all buttoned up right there. Fantastic. So now we're going to talk, and and most practices have really good legal advice, or maybe perhaps it's a bit dated, and they may need to have that reviewed just to say, does it make sense in the current environment? Are we doing this Correctly. And quite frankly, I've got a couple of clients where we've had these agreements in place for three years. And now we go back and review and based on some recent CMS definitions, I'll loosely call them that. We look at that and say, okay, now we probably need to change that agreement enough to fit into what the new announcements and and pronouncements have been. So it's always good to understand where you're at in the current context. But, you know, we won't, as our firm will not go in and say, hey, we'll do an audit for you or we'll do a review of your financial statements. We typically will look to some of our people that we know and trust and say, this might be a good client for you to talk to, especially proximity, physical locations, things of that nature. Because, you know, a lot of times you want to see the person you're working with on those. And so that's one where we do not have the, the uh, I would say, expertise, 
Now, when it comes to, and we're working on one right now where it's somebody's putting together a financial projection and we're doing a balance sheet and an income statement and a cash flow statement to determine what the dollar amount is that they need in capital infused into the company to continue to grow and, and get to where they want to be. Yeah, that's exactly what we do. So we can certainly help with that. But you know, from a legal standpoint, from an accounting standpoint, audit, we're going to reach out to our trusted professionals that we know and like. Got it. And then plus on the buy side that the buyers are typically going to complete and perform their own, they want to perform their own due diligence due process diligence. And, yes. and making sure that they're able to understand the flow of dollars in and out of the practice and understand that there's a a report there that'll help the buyers understand and kind of de-risk the situation. Right. So, the, that quality of earnings report. The quality of earnings. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's I have some experience being and I've got some very good friends who are in the transaction advisory space. So, you know, we've got some interesting back and forth with uh Q of E teams, due diligence teams that that fly in and and really do look for quote unquote the skeletons in the closet. Right. So then in terms of the next couple of steps with the potential sellers, the practice owners, you're helping them prepare these documents. In terms of valuation, this is kind of like your specialty. So right. do you have different models? Do you go on discounted cash flow? Do you use comparables? How do you help practice owners? And maybe it depends on different practices. Maybe it depends on the different sizes for practice owners that have one location, five locations, 10 locations. How, you know, and we can get a little technical on the, the financial side of things, but how do you go about valuing a practice and whether discounted cash flow, comps, other, you know, other factors? Yeah, very good questions. And the answer is that we're going to use the various valuation methodologies that are available to us. Most of the time, what we're going to be focusing on is the discounted cash flow analysis. We're going to be also looking at comparably traded companies that are either publicly traded or that they've been involved in a transaction, privately held companies that have been involved in transactions where we can get that data. So that becomes a big issue because if, if you're privately held, there are no requirements for you to report and perhaps the acquirer won't need to report as well. So all of that data just stays below the radar and nobody ever hears about it. Some of it, and this is where we subscribe to certain databases, will be reported. So we'll, we'll pull that and glean that out. So essentially, in summary, we're looking at a discounted cash flow analysis. We're looking at publicly traded companies to get revenue multiples, to get EBITDA multiples, that, that earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. That's a mouthful, but that's why we say EBITDA. It's just so much easier to say. So we'll look at that, but not only revenue and EBITDA for publicly traded companies, but also privately held companies, data is available. On occasion, one will just look at the discounted cash flow or find out that really we don't project. It has not been a, a practice of the company normally, or the practice just looks and says, we don't know from one year to the next because we've got population growth, we decline, et cetera. There's so many changes out there. We really don't make predictions. Okay, great. We can capitalize earnings, which is essentially very much like a discounted cash flow method, but just for one period. So we really try to focus on the current income of the practice and then look at 
multiples from comparable companies. Now, size becomes an issue, obviously, because if you get a massively massive difference between a publicly traded company and that target practice that we're valuing here, you know, a little bit of reasonableness has to come into play. And you go, is that is that really a good comparable? We'll walk through that. Got it. And yeah, it certainly depends on size. Also will depend on location and geography, right? Like if there's multiple locations kind of clustered very closely versus if they're spread out in different markets, right? Like if those two different practices were in the same ballpark of revenue, but one is like in a cluster and then there's a lot of synergies and, and benefits there versus another, you know, practice B that's maybe same revenue, but is kind of spread out in all different markets. And so there's maybe some there's some pros and cons to some of those things. So it depends on location and geography as well, right? Absolutely. So we would look at that, we call it geographic diversification, and that can make its way into the valuation in a couple of different ways. One could be the discount rate that is used in the in the discounted cash flow analysis or used in the capitalized earnings method. You also could make some adjustments to the multiples based on differences in geographic diversification. So yeah, you'll see those things really kind of make their way in in two different ways into the valuation. If we did just a a quick little like practice A versus practice B, if they both had 5 million in revenue and if practice A was clustered in one New York City area, I'm I'm in Brooklyn, New York. So if it was doing $5 million practice A, it's clustered all around New York City versus practice B also, let's just say $5 million in revenue but in like different metros, you know, there's a practice in New York and it's maybe in an office or it's in home because there's we do a lot of in-home physical therapy. And then maybe that practice is in Chicago or L.A. or Austin or, you know, in different metros. How would that factor in where they're both those two practices are both doing the same revenue? This is just completely anonymous off the cuff. Right. How would that factor in? Like would practice A have more of a benefit? of your modeling and maybe get a higher valuation versus something that's practice B where it's doing the same revenue, assuming all the other factors are approximately the same, but it's kind of spread out all over the country in different markets. We'd take it a step further, Dave. What we would actually do is we'd look at the patient list and, you know, you got to be very careful about how you value patient and patient records as it pertains to Stark. So we, we want to be very, very clear that we're not paying for inducement of referrals or anything of that nature. So well, what we are going to look at is recurring patient revenue. So if if practice A has a higher recurring patient revenue population compared to, let's say, practice B, which I'm just going to talk about today. So let's say you had Chicago let's say you had an, another populous density location that maybe population overall is declining. And so you're anticipating a decline in your overall patient listing and, and return patients. But you had Austin, which is exploding. And let's say I'm, I'm going to add to your, let's put San Antonio in there in Houston. Sure. Okay. So now you have this rising tide, if you will, now you're looking at this and you're saying, well, that might be enough that when you look at the patient population, that even that concentration in Brooklyn, but more geographic diversification over in practice B, maybe they equal one another. But if you have perhaps 
let's say you have a heavily, it's heavily concentrated in Chicagoland area and let's just, you know, Detroit or some other areas that perhaps maybe are experiencing some population decline, that very well might cause us to say practice A is in a far better position than practice B just because of what we think is coming from a situation. So there's always just one more step or two more steps in that analysis that you're going, huh, I wonder about, and that's that's where valuation takes you. Aha, uh-huh, right. So there, there's always multiple factors. When we're looking at evaluation for a practice owner, have we kind of reviewed already some of the top key performance indicators? Obviously, it's like revenue, but really it's uh, it's EBITDA. So it's adjusted EBITDA after addbacks. It's some of the other factors. So we've covered geolocation, geography, where's, where's everyone based? And then you went into a little bit more of like the patient dynamics. So the recurring patients, how many times that patient is likely to return because they probably are enjoying and benefiting from that care, whether it's physicians or physical therapy or, or anything. So then the age, the age of some of those patients in that past patient list could be a factor. I didn't really consider that before. So that makes a lot of sense. What are some of the other factors? So what we'll really pay close attention to is your payor structure. So if you're looking at private pay versus government pay, that's a big situation that we want to take into consideration. We're also going to look at and dive deep into how long does it take these practices to collect? Yeah, Um, accounts receivable. Yeah, that AR collection becomes bigger and bigger issue all the time as we look at these. And so those really factor in. Another one that all too often gets looked over, but really does need to be considered is the general cash flow that's being generated from the practice. Because you can have a a great EBITDA number. However, if you've got this capital expenditure line or you've got working capital that's you know going very, very high, i.e. your AR is not being collected fast enough, you are now investing cash into that business that is not being released from the efforts of the practice owner to literally be at their disposable to either A, make distributions, or B, reinvest in the practice. So that can be a real drag. There's some practices that could be very, very beneficial, though. So that's that's really why we want to get down to that cash flow figure. Sure, absolutely. In terms of the next few steps for any practice owner that's, again, in this in this journey, they're taking this journey, they're reaching out to you or another firm, and now we're going from some of their the fears of the unknown now if they're going through this this example they're understanding the steps we talked about the financial side of things what are some of the other common questions that some of your practice owners some of your potential sellers would be asking or or some of their other fears or doubts or areas of uncertainty at this point yeah so we get a lot of questions of you know what can i do after i sell the practice can i be part of it can we structure something how will i get paid And that a lot of times is how you are positioning the company, positioning the practice to be taken, to be sold. So if you're looking at taking on, like, for instance, we've done valuations where we've, we've allowed other owners to come in. So you're valuing that on a minority position. Perhaps you're not ready to totally give up control, 
perhaps you are. That's another thing to take into consideration as to whether you're expecting a control premium to be paid for that ownership interest that you're selling or whether it's going to be a minority position that you're selling. So those are things to take into consideration because those numbers can be very, very different. 30 to 35% difference is not uncommon. So that's where I have these conversations with the practice owner. What do you expect? Or the practice group, what's your anticipation? Because we've had practice groups come together and say, we want to bring others in. However, it's a liquidity. So now as they come in, we have another practice owner leaving. And how do we manage those inflows and outflows that that happen to be attached to human beings that are coming into the practice? So how do you manage that? And one of the things that I found to be very, very helpful in that process is to get people involved in the overall valuation sooner rather than later. Because it's very interesting how people have a, let's just say, perception of the future when they're selling versus a perception of the future when they're buying. As you can imagine, those perceptions are different. And so getting people involved earlier on to understand the process, how we're doing this, and and valuators will use these technical terms like the basis, control, non-marketable, marketable, not control. Do we want to get rid of all of that discounting and just say, what's the value of the what's the value of the practice? Okay, great. Are we going to use projections? Are we going to use multiples? So if we get this rhythm and cadence in place sooner with the practice owner or the practice owner group, that understanding becomes a lot clearer sooner. And now everybody's really on board. Not saying that we won't have some discussions or differences in that, but it's very interesting to have those conversations earlier on because now you get to start to talk about these things maybe before it matters too intensely because eventually it will matter very intensely. So practice owners ask these types of questions and and cash flow is always a big issue. You know, how do we how do we buy out a partner or or, or how do we go into the sunset or or how does this look after I'm gone because these people who are around me, my assistants, you know, the other medical professionals, my goodness, we show up at their graduations, they show up at our birthdays. We're tight. Sometimes people just want to ride off into the sunset, take my name off the wall. And we customize, I think Dave is the most important. We customize what does that transition look like? And for all my tax brethren out there who I've spent countless hours working with, I just had this opportunity today during a discussion with someone who's in the midst of selling their company. I said, Go talk with your tax people. Make sure that we're structuring this transaction in a way that is most tax efficient for you. Not saying you're not going to pay taxes, but let's just do it in a way that makes the most sense. And those tax pros are full of ideas. Unfortunately, and I will say this for all my tax brethren out there, we just invite them to the table far too late because they said, if you only would have done this, I could have done this and saved X. So call your tax people. (laughs) Wow. Excellent. 
Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.